Good morning. If anyone comes in in about 15 minutes, just act natural. Their clocks didn't change. They're just showing up on time. We just started early. Just make room for them, scoot in. The sun helps, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes that earlier morning a little less painful. Well, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, for those of you that I haven't met. Um, and we lost, we lost a great one a few weeks ago. Uh, you probably are aware that the evangelist Billy Graham passed away, or as he uh, liked to say, uh, he didn't die, he, he just, his address changed. That was one of the things he was famous for saying. I, I like that. I can actually trace uh, my own history, my own faith, kind of through him. Uh, decades ago, uh, a professor at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh was watching a Billy Graham crusade on TV and gave his life to Jesus, trusted in Jesus through his very simple and clear presentation of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. His name was Minor Hawk, which is one of the greatest names of all time. Uh, and he went on to teach my dad, who went to Carnegie Mellon to study physics. And he uh, shared the gospel with my dad, and my dad became a Christian through his testimony, uh, and obviously had a little bit of an impact on my life. And so I have grown up uh, always understanding that Jesus loved me and died for my sins because of my dad and my mom, because of Minor Hawk, uh, and because of Billy Graham. So I don't know if you've caught any of the the tribute videos or articles that people have been writing and posting. Um, I would recommend... uh, for a very clear, beautiful, and simple presentation of the good news, uh, it's hard to beat Billy Graham. And there's been a few things that have caught my attention uh, that I've been paying attention to uh, as I've been reading some of the interviews with him. That, uh, and, and one of them uh, that I really, really liked was uh, someone was asking him, kind of, what's, his, what's he about? Like, what does he feel his, his vocation, his calling is? Uh, and he said that it's to tell people that God is for them. That God is more interested in their future and their relationships than they can imagine. That God is infinitely interested in humans. That God is for them. He's for us. God is for you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God is for us. I think that's something that we can easily sort of acknowledge, maybe big picture, like God is for people. But, but sometimes it's a little harder to experience what, it, what that is, that God is for us, that he's for me specifically, that he's for you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, well, I hope and trust that at some point in your life you have had this experience uh, of someone being for you. I was reflecting on uh, a time early in our marriage uh, about a decade ago. We're coming up on 11 years this week. Woo! So about a decade ago, uh, we actually, it was before summer came on staff here at Sanctuary, uh, we interviewed at a church in Colorado Springs, actually a church that summer had been a part of, for this joint position uh, to be the director of college and young adult ministries. And uh, it, had act- it was actually summer's dream position. She'd been part of this ministry when she was in Colorado Springs, and uh, really had a lot of love for this church. Uh, and, and as we discern, well, long story short, we're here. 
Um, but as we discerned and as we prayed and talked about this, one of the things that she brought up was how, uh, how difficult this move might be for me, who at the time was in a couple of bands and very involved in music here in Seattle. And Summer was the one who brought up how, how much of a challenge this might be for me to be removed from this world of music here that I was heavily invested in and really loved. And I, uh, you know, it's funny now, 10 years later, the things that would be significant decision-making <laughs> uh, pieces of that decision, they've, they've changed since then. But at the time, I was, I was in two different bands. I was, I was doing a lot of music. And for her to recognize, hey, this would be a significant challenge for, for you, for her to put my happiness, my joy, my preferences above her own, that was the experience of someone being for me, right? Serving me in that way. That was powerful. Well, God is for us in deeper and bigger ways than we can imagine. And that is how our passage this morning starts off. We're in Romans 8, starting in verse 31, if you want to pull out your Bibles or your phones or follow along on the screen. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. What a hopeful, comforting passage this is. Speak to us, Lord. Open our ears that we would hear your voice speaking to us what we need to hear this morning. Amen. God is for us. That's good news. Uh, we are, we're nearing the end of the New City Catechism. We've been using the Catechism as a guide through our sermon series now for coming up on like seven, eight months. It's been a while. Um, and some of the questions that this particular Catechism has asked uh, have been really helpful and, and really poignant questions. Others of them, truthfully, I've been not as big a fan of. And that's okay. It's not the Bible. It's just a helpful guide. I can push back on those. And this, the question for this week is one of those that I feel like is, I would ask a different question. The question is, where is Christ now? And the uh, very simple answer, which we just read from Romans 8, is that Christ is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. But the whole point of that question is really to get at another question, which I think is better. And the question that I think is better is, what is Christ up to now? What is Christ doing even now? Right, the imagery of Christ at the right hand of God the Father uh, is a metaphor, ultimately. It's, it's to show us Christ's power and authority. Right, the image of someone at, at someone else's right hand uh, is the image of like a king and an advisor who the advisor has the ear of the king and he can, um, th- they can converse together about what is best uh, and, and the advisor is given authority to act on behalf of the king. So obviously the metaphor breaks down a little bit there. We don't believe that Jesus is just God's advisor. <laughs> but 
the, the point of that image of Christ at the right hand of God the Father Almighty is to show us the kind of power and the kind of authority that Jesus has. And then to show us that what he does with that power and authority is not what we might think we would do with that kind of power and authority. He uses it to serve. He's interceding for us. He's, he's working on our behalf. He is for us. So I think the better question uh, is, what is Christ up to now? And this verse that I read right at the end there, about Christ being at the right hand of God the Father, Christ interceding for us, speaks to these two things of his authority and his work interceding for us. So I just wanted to look a little bit at those two, those two elements. Um, the disciples grew over their years of walking with Jesus on this earth. They grew in their understanding of Jesus' authority and Jesus' power. Uh, and they understood more and more as they walked with him, as they watched him perform miracles, that he was more than just a good teacher. I mean, he certainly was a good teacher, but there was something more going on here, right? They're in the boat, the wind and the waves are going crazy, and Jesus simply says, be still, and the wind and the waves are still. And the, disciple, the disciples wonder amongst themselves, who is this, right? This is, this is not normal. There's something else going on here. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He performs these miracles, these signs, to demonstrate the kind of power that he has. And then he even gives his disciples that kind of power to go out and to do the things that he wants to do. And that's, that's when we're talking about power and authority. That's really what we're talking about. Just that Jesus gets to do what he wants to do. We, we have things that we want to do. And it's probably by God's grace that we don't get to do all of them. <laughs> but Jesus simply gets to do what he wants to do. And it seems like the things that he wants to do are forgiving people and healing people. Reconciling people to God and people to each other. These are the things that Jesus wants to do and he gets to do. This is the kind of power and authority that he has. So the disciples then experienced a little bit of that. They, they were given his power to go out and, and to do the things that Jesus wants to do in the world. But they still didn't quite get it, right? It wasn't long after that that they're having a conversation about which one of them is the greatest disciple. Which one of us is most awesome when it comes to discipleship? And Jesus hears them, and he says, that's not exactly how it works. That's not what you've seen me do with the power and authority that I have. You haven't seen me lord it over others. That, that's how the way the world works, right? The way the world works is that those with power and authority hold it over people. They lord it over others, and they use it to, to give themselves uh, all the things that they want. But it's not supposed to be that way with you. In fact, he says... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. To give his life away as a ransom for many. So Jesus has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. But how he uses that is for us, for our good. And we see this in what he's doing, even as he is at God's right hand. To keep in that metaphor. The work that he's engaged in is interceding for us. Right? He and God are talking together about us. They are fascinated and interested in our lives. And together are working 
for our ultimate good. Uh, just earlier in this passage, uh, Paul talks about what that ultimate good is, and it's Christ-likeness. It's that the character of Christ would be built in our hearts and in our lives. We still, though, experience hardship in this life, yes? So though Christ has all power and authority, uh, we would want him to use that to make our lives easy and comfortable. And, And we ask for that. And I don't know that asking for that is necessarily wrong. But there is a deeper, bigger, broader, more glorious purpose that Christ is working in our lives. And it's to shape us into the image of Christ. And so even though the circumstances of our life can be difficult at times, uh, there is a comfort that I hope we can take this morning in trusting that even in those circumstances that God is at work and his power and his authority are at work in our lives. Romans 8, where, where we've been reading, um, is a wonderful passage. It's full of some, some of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture are there. Um, but it's also filled with words like this when Paul is describing our lives. Difficulty, suffering, frustration, groaning, weakness, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, and not the kind you're thinking of. Danger, sword, and death. Right? This is, this is the context of Paul's life, writing from prison. This is the context of the life of the early church. And all of us, to some degree, experience these things. Maybe not to the same degree that those early Christians did, but... We're aware that in in some area of our life, something is is not going as as we would like it to go. Some area is struggling. We are struggling. And yet we're assured that Jesus, who has all authority and power, is talking to the Father about us. And they are at work in our world and in our lives, shaping us into little Christs, right? That's what Christian means, little Christs. I think one of, the, one of the ways I was thinking about uh, this conversation between God the Son, Jesus, and God the Father about us is kind of like eavesdropping on this intercession that's happening. And I think we can do that because Jesus, while he was here on earth, he, he prayed. Uh, he prayed to God the Father. And so we can, we can listen and pay attention to those and, and, and glean something about what he is, how he's interceding for us even now. One of those, as he's on the cross, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, right now, with all the power and authority that he has, is praying for our forgiveness, granting us forgiveness. There is no sin that is so deep or so strong or so clinging to us that Christ cannot forgive it. Jesus also prayed, Father, may they be one as we are one. He prayed for the unity of the church. In fact, he said the unity of the church, that's how the world is going to know that you're my disciples, when you are one. I think that's one of the things that Jesus is asking the Father to do, to make the church one and unified. He also prayed, Father, my my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, 
My prayer is not that you would just whisk them away so that they would be free from the troubles of this life, but that you would protect them from the evil one as I send them into the world. These are prayers that we can pray because we have confidence that Jesus is praying them, that Jesus is interceding to God the Father on our behalf in this way. We spend a lot of time looking back at the time when Jesus was present here on earth, those 33-ish years when he taught, when he lived, when he died, when he was raised to life. We spend a lot of time reflecting on those years, and, and rightly so. We, we, we know Jesus uh, in his character and what he is like, and therefore what God is like uniquely through the Gospels, through the, the early church being birthed out of his life here. We also look ahead and we long for his return. Right? Every year we come to Advent, and that becomes this, uh, this meditation of ours, this longing for Christ's return to make all things new. But we live in between those times, right? And I think sometimes living in the in-between, we're, we're not quite sure what Christ is up to. We know what he did, and we know what he's going to do. We're not quite sure what Christ is up to now. Karl Barth talks about this unique time that we are in right now. And he calls, he calls it this time. He says it's the time of the word. Perhaps also the, the time of the abandonment. And in certain respects, of the loneliness of the church on earth. It's hard. We don't experience the physical presence of Christ the way that the disciples did, and the way that we will in the future when he wipes away every tear and makes every wrong right. There's a certain loneliness to this time. But it is also the time, he goes on, in which the church is united with Christ in faith by the Holy Spirit. It's the interim time between his earthly existence and his return in glory, and it is the time of great opportunity of the task of the church towards the world. It is the time of mission. And I love that. It can be hard to have a sense always for what Christ is up to in the world and then also in our own lives. But we can have confidence, I think, and hopefully some comfort this morning in understanding that Christ, who has all authority in heaven and earth, all power, he gets to do what he wants to do all the time. And what that is, is forgive us. What that is, is is unify us as the church. And and what that is, is to send us out into the world with the same power and authority that he had for his sake, on his behalf. So I hope we can hear this morning both the comfort in those words and also the challenge, the call. That as we go out into this world, we go with a God who is for us. A God who is taking the circumstances of our lives, and if we go by the list that Paul gave us, they're not great circumstances. And he's using them for a deeper purpose, a greater purpose, to shape in us Christ-likeness. I hope we go knowing that if God is for us, well, then who can be against us? I hope we go knowing that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this vision, this image of you and the Father working together for our good. And part of our prayer every day, every moment, is recognizing that things are not as they should be, Lord, that we do experience difficulty and challenge, sickness, disease, broken relationships. All of this we confess before you. We confess before you our own sin, our own inclinations that are twisted, that are self-serving. The times when we take the the power that you've given us, the authority you've given us, the, the physical blessings that you've given us, and we use them for ourselves. But we trust, God, that as we confess to you these things, these things that are just true, that you are interceding on our behalf, pointing to your sacrifice, pointing to your display of love for us. And saying, there's no one to condemn. There's no one left to condemn you. Lord, comfort us this morning, those of us that are hurting. Those of us who are facing uncertain futures, which at some level is all of us. We place our lives into your good hands and we trust that though the circumstances of our lives may not look like what we would like, they may not look like what we would have designed, we trust that you are a God who can work all things for good, for your purpose. So send us out this week with that comfort, Lord. Send us out with a sense of, of power, That all authority in heaven and on earth is yours. So as we go into our work, as we go into our homes, into our neighborhoods, that we would not fear, that we would see you making disciples, that we would join you in that, that we would love lavishly the way that you do. God, that we would see you at work doing the things you're doing now that you would give us the strength to join you. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.